We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. I believe that there are specific moments in time that God has designed for us and prepared for us um, that, 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 that we can miss them if we're not looking for them. And uh, man, we're almost, we are, we are halfway through 2017. Can you believe it? Halfway through 2017. Uh, it's time uh, for you and I to recognize that, that we are, that, we're, that we are living, we are spending our lives on something. Um, we are living our days on something. We are, we are spending ourselves and our families and our finances and, and our time, the most precious commodity is being, commodity is being spent on something. Um, let's do it for something that counts. Let's do it for something that's worthwhile. Let's spend our lives um, helping people get connected to God. Let's not miss our moment. I don't want you to miss your moment for you. Personally, I believe God has a personal encounter that he wants to have with you. I mean, it's great that you came to church. It's great that you, you sing along with us. That's wonderful. But, but Jesus is different than a church. Jesus is different than signing up for a church or becoming a member of the church, which, by the way, plug for membership class today happening after service. Uh, you know, Jesus is different than membership, but membership's pretty good. Um, so, you know, uh, come with me and my wife after service. We'll treat you to a meal, tell you all about the church, and you can decide if you want to join or not. Your, our secret handshake and everything, it'll be awesome. Um, but in the meantime, Meantime, Jesus is much better than that. Jesus is much better than religion. Jesus is much, much better, better than some organizational system that has been put around him. You've got to meet Jesus. You have to encounter Jesus. I really, it's, I can't express the importance of that. He, he, it's, it's not about trying to change your life and your habits. It's about meeting Jesus, and then Jesus changes your life and your habits. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not up to you. It's not on you. It's not on your shoulders. If you could just meet Jesus, I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain that if you could meet him, you would follow him. I'm certain the main reason why there are atheists in the world is because the atheists haven't met Jesus yet. I'm, I'm certain that, that the reason why three-quarters of Austin is anti-church, they're not even not in church, they're anti-church, is because they haven't actually met Jesus. They met a church, they met some deacons, they met a system, a structure, a, a, and in some cases a dead system, and a dead structure, and they rejected that, but they haven't actually met Jesus. And my mission at City Chapel, our mission is to bring Jesus, not, not religion, is to bring Jesus to people, because I'm certain if they can meet him, <laughs> that, that he will be able to do what religion could not do for them, that he will be able to do for them what uh, some pastor somewhere couldn't do. He will be able uh, to do what they can't even do for themselves. And so I want, first and foremost, if you come into this place, I want you to have an encounter with Jesus. I want you to meet Jesus. And uh, so we've been talking about uh, a lady in the Bible uh, in John chapter 4. Um, she is known as the woman at the well. Uh, her name is never given. It's funny. This is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus ever has with somebody in the scripture. The longest recorded conversation, and we never get her name. We don't even know who this lady is. All we know is where she is at. And um, I think that's uh, for a number of reasons, one of which is because really this lady could be any single one of us, because every single one of us has been where this lady is at. 
Uh, and we've been, we've, we've been preaching through this, and so this is the third week. If, you, if you're just now visiting with us, you're coming in in the middle of a good thing. And uh, so I want to welcome you. Um, but I'm still, I'm still digging in this passage. I don't want to miss my moment in this passage. So uh, I'm still preaching on this passage. I, how long are we going to preach? I don't know. Maybe the rest of 2017. I'll be, no, just kidding. I don't know. But we'll, we'll, we'll be, we'll, I mean, I, I don't want to miss what God has for us in this passage. Because I think there's some very practical, very instructive things within this passage that can can teach us how to, to, to respect an encounter with God, how to recognize and respect a, an encounter with God, how to be prepared for that, how to not miss your moment. And so let's go ahead and read from John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, uh, verse 2 says, Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, in other words, the gossip, religious gossip was wrong, um, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. We talked about that the first week. It wasn't actually on the GPS, but he was drawn by the need that was in this woman. God is attracted to needy people. God is drawn by people who are in need. God is drawn by people, the scripture says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So God is attracted to that. He's drawn to that. He's, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is what Jesus said. Not blessed are the rich in spirit, not blessed are the anointed in spirit, not blessed are the spiritual in spirit, but blessed are the poor in spirit. He's, he, he needed to go to Samaria because there was a lady there who was, who was in need. That's why, honestly, that's why we're putting up billboards for people who are in need. We want people who are, we, 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 we want to fill this whole place with a whole bunch of of nothing, a whole bunch of emptiness, and just watch God do what God does best. Because that's where God shows up, whenever there's people who are hungry for him and desperate for him. And often it's the people who are down in life who have finally figured out that they need God. So if you're here today, I imagine that you're one of those people. Uh, I, I just, because, because, because you came to church. Because, you know, I mean, you drive, I mean, I drove by some folks who, who obviously are in a much better place than I am. Because on Sunday morning, they're just chilling. You know, like they're, they're, they're out biking, they're hiking, they're walking. Like they don't need God. They're obviously like superhumans or something. Like they're really got it together. They're doing really, really awesome because they're, 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 they're cool. They don't, they don't really need God. They don't really need church. They don't really need a community of Christians, a community of faith to support them and gather around them and pray with them. They're good on their own. But for those of us who recognize our need for God, that's where God shows up. It said that he needed to go to Samaria because a lady needed what he had. Uh, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And uh, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I, I want to talk about that here in a minute, but let's keep reading a little bit. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and uh, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away uh, into the town uh, to get McDonald's. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, get some Topo Chico. Uh, then, the woman, <laughs> then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You Jews have no dealings uh, with Samaritans. Going on to the next verse, uh, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, this is kind of where we've camped out the past few weeks, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have. That's such an interesting construct. If you knew you would have. If you knew, you would have. It's amazing. Jesus knows everything, of course, because he's God. 
um, which means he knows everything that, that has happened, but he also knows everything, all um, uh, contingencies, is what, uh, is what the, the theologians would say. He knows everything that could happen or would happen. In other words, he knows what you would do if you knew what he knew. I find it, I find it interesting that Jesus is judging this person not by what she's doing, but by what she would do if she knew <laughs> what he knew. God is, God is not so concerned with what you do as much as what, what you would do if you knew. I, I, and that's, and that's, that would help explain some of the patience that God has had with you throughout your life. Because he's known what you would do if you knew. He, he, he knew what you would do if you knew. And, and he's judging her based on that. And he, he informs her. Now, this is a great gift to her. He says, look, lady, if you knew the gift of God, and we talked about that the first week, and if you knew who it is who's talking to you, we talked about that last week, he says, you would have, this is what you would have done, you would have asked of him. But then he includes a little extra nugget of information that, that he didn't have to do. He says, let me tell you what I would have done. If you knew that, and then you would have done that, what I would have done, I would have given you living water. <laughs> I want to stop right there because I'm still stuck on this passage. Because I, I find it amazing that God tells this lady what she would have done if she would have known. But then he also tells her what he would have done if she would have asked. He says, uh, so this, this is what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about what he's talking here. He's, 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 he's talking about the implication. The implication of his invitation. He is inviting her to ask. He's telling her, look, lady, the answer is yes. <laughs> you haven't asked yet. You would if you knew. You haven't asked yet, but let me just tell you, before you even bother asking, before you, I give you all this revelation, the, 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 the answer is yes. The answer is yes. God tells her that, Jesus tells her that before she even asks, before she even prays, before she gets down on her knees, Lord, I really need it. Before any of the religious structures comes around her life, Jesus tells her in your current state right now, the answer is yes. Where you are right now, what you're doing right now, <laughs> the answer is yes. And so, and so, you know, because we're just, just a weird church, I want you to turn to the person next to you, you might not know them, and tell them the answer is yes. Just tell them my sermon title. The answer is yes. Now, if that's your spouse, you might not want to, don't, don't, don't tell your spouse that. Uh, tell somebody you don't know the answer. Somebody needs to turn and tell the first lady that the answer is yes. Somebody tells the first lady that the answer is yes. Uh, See, 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 Cheryl thought I was talking about my wife because she comes from the Pentecostal church. But actually, actually, we're, we're a little weird here. Um, uh, the first lady was the first lady to show up. I think that was Laura Garcia is the first lady today. So somebody tap Laura on the shoulder and tell her, Laura, the, at our church, the first lady changes every week. You don't know, you don't know who the first lady I told you, the world's okay. The answer is, yeah, God wants you to know. I feel like God wants somebody to know that before you even ask, even when you're evaluating whether or not you're worthy, whether or not he's capable, the answer is already determined. He's already made up his mind. He's already made his conclusion. The predisposition of heaven is yes. He, he, he has already determined a yes in your life. Ah, it's not yes to everything, but a yes to the most important thing. A yes to living water. The yes to fulfillment. A yes to what her soul is craving. The answer is yes. So the woman says to him, 
Now, if I were the lady, I would have said, okay, um, uh, first tell me about this gift of God, then let me know about who, who you are, and then, hey, could I have this since you already said that I could? But instead, the woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She, she, she meets his statement of faith with doubt. She says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? I talked about that, that uh, last week. Jesus is actually greater. And drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. And so Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water. Now he's describing the gift. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will, will well up in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He describes the gift, and then the woman says, Sir or Lord, give me this water. She asks, give me this water so that I may not come here and drink anymore, come here to draw. (laughs) So she's still not entirely getting it. Jesus is obviously talking about spiritual water. And I think she must understand, she can't be that dense. She has to understand that there is some spiritual implication here. But it's interesting how even when God talks to us about spiritual things, we find uh, physical uh, conveniences attached to it. Lord, give me this water so that my life will be easier. So that I won't have to come here and drink anymore. I wonder how many of our prayers are really so that we won't have to do as much work anymore. Lord, it blessed me financially so that I won't, I won't have to work as much. Lord, take care of my family so that my kids stop embarrassing me at the grocery store. Lord, Lord you know you thought that. Lord, Lord help, help my marriage so that things will be a lot easier for me at home. You know what I mean? Like we, there's, there, there are certain physical benefits to this water that God's talking about, but she exposes her purposes. She exposes her reason and her logic and her, and her goal when she says, so that I won't have to come here and drink anymore. But it's, but it's, but it's the part that, that, that I want to talk to you about, first of all, the fact that God doesn't mind that. God recognizes that you are really oftentimes asking things for yourself for yourself (laughs) and God's answer to you anyway is already yes the predisposition of heaven is already yes I think I I think probably my favorite um, passage in the Bible my my favorite book of the Bible is the book of Hebrews Um, I was talking to my kids this past week and we I was because I'm a pastor I said hey guys this is my favorite book of the Bible and so even if you're not a pastor feel free if you have kids tell them about what your favorite book of the Bible is but I was telling them about my favorite book which is the book of Hebrews and I started quoting just the first verses of the first chapter, which, which I think is so powerful. The first chapter of Hebrews says, God, who in various ways and at various times has spoken to our fathers in times past through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his son, through whom he also made the worlds, Jesus, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. What Jesus said is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so it's very important if we want to understand the posture of heaven 
to look at Jesus. Colossians says that the entire Godhead dwelt inside of the fullness of the Godhead. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell inside of the body of Jesus. And so if you want to know the posture of heaven, look no further than Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. Jesus reveals who God is. He is the exact express image of the Godhead, which is why I find it interesting anytime the gospel writers tell us about the posture of Jesus. And they're always giving us these little details. He's always telling us, by the way, Jesus showed up to the well first. Did did you notice that? It's about noon, about the sixth hour. Nobody else would be at the well in in the Middle East at noon. It's the hottest time of the day. But Jesus is there. He shows up. I mean, it's like Walmart at midnight, you know. He shows up at the well at noon. And he's... And he's, and he's, what? what? What does he do? If we, if, if we can go back to the verse, let's just, let's just make sure we get it just right. I think it's verse 4. He needed to go through Samaria. Verse 5, he came to this, this city called Sychar. Now, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weird from his journey, sat thus by the well. He sat down. Can I just borrow a chair real quick? This is, because I'm kind of, I've been standing all morning. I got here at 7.30 and with Laura, and uh, uh, we were... And a few other people, and we were we were setting, we were setting up, and um, um, but no, this is what Jesus did. I want you. The Bible's giving us a visual demonstration of the posture of heaven. God is all by himself, just hanging out at the well, all by himself, and he's sitting down. He crosses. I don't know. Maybe he crossed his legs, and he's he's sitting there. And then verse seven says, "Now a woman of Samaria came." Yada, yada, yada. We don't know how long this took. But we do know that God, the creator of time, just sat down and waited for this lady to come. The creator of time was, was killing time. <laughs> when you create, I guess you can kill it, but he, he was shooting the breeze, you know. The creator of time was killing time. I mean... Jesus, hold on, like, 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 Jesus, isn't there, like, a town over there you could be, like, saving, or, like, dead people you could be raising from, you know, or, like, blind eyes you could be opening? Isn't there, like, some mountain you could stand on and preach some amazing message? But, no, Jesus, the posture of heaven, look, this, that's why I think this story is so interesting. It's the longest recorded conversation that God has with anybody in the New Testament, Jesus has with anybody in the Gospels, and it starts with Jesus just chilling. Just waiting. What? Waiting? God waiting? I was taught, I don't know about you, I was taught growing up, we had to wait on God. That's what I was told. And I think there's some good to it. I think there's some great truth to it. But this, this, this kind of flips the script. We have God waiting on this lady? I mean, like, come on. I mean, really? Don't you got better things to do? No, he's just, he's just waiting. This is the posture of heaven. If you're wondering what God is like, if you're wondering what God's doing, he's, he's, he's waiting on you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm, th- I'm late for everything. I'm thankful <laughs> that we have a God who, who waits for us. We have a God who, when he shows up and we're not there, he just pulls up a chair. Jesus, what are you doing? Oh, just, just waiting on this lady. She's, she'll be here. 
We don't know what the lady was doing. Scholars assume that she's coming in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be seen by the other ladies because of her history. You'll see a little bit later in the story. Uh, but, but we don't really know. I mean, she might have been, you know, gardening, cooking, cleaning, crocheting. I don't know. You know, I mean, we, we don't know what she was. She, she could have been sleeping. I mean, if it was me, I'd be rolling out of bed at about 11, you know what I mean? Like, days of being in college, it was awesome. I would, I would wake up around Saturday at like 1 p.m., and, uh, and, and that's about the time the Michigan football games are starting, you know? I mean, it's, it's awesome. You get some pizza. I mean, that, that, that was the life, but now I got kids and, and a family responsibility. <laughs> but you single people, don't tell me how tired you are. Don't, tell, don't even tell me you're tired, because you... Like, like when you want to go to bed, you just literally take your clothes off and go to bed. Like, that's what you do. When I want to go to bed, I got to get, like, water, like, three different times, you know? I don't know why they need a drink of water. Why do you need a drink of water? You don't drink all day. You're not hydrated. As soon as they get down, Dad, I need a drink of water. We need to keep, like, a cooler in their room. You know what I'm saying? Just go to the cooler. It's right there by your bed. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> um, you know, like, 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 like Jesus is just, he's, he's just, he's just waiting on her. She might've been sleeping. She might've been doing something even wrong. She might've been cussing at her, at her boyfriend that she's living with. She might, I mean, you know, she, she, she's not necessarily, we don't know. It's not like she was like mother Teresa taking care of the poor. And Jesus is like, okay, well, she's feeding sick kids. I guess I'll wait for her. We have no idea who this lady is or what she's doing. All we know is that she's late, God's on time, and God waits. I think one of the reasons why we miss our moment is because we think the moment's already passed. <laughs> and so before I even talk to you about be sure to not miss your moment, let me just, just plead with you. The moment has not passed. If you are still living, God is still waiting. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how late you are. And by late, I don't mean the fact that you walked in at 1025 when church starts at 10, because I'm not judging. But I'm just saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like life late. You know what I mean? Like, like you found out about Jesus when you were 12, but it's just you're 29. You're just now deciding to follow him kind of late. I mean, like you're in your mid-30s. All your other friends are married, and you don't even have a, a lot of friends on Facebook kind of late. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, like you're behind. Have you ever felt like you're behind, like you're running behind, like there's something pushing you from behind? And man, I should have started this years ago. And I'm in my 50s. He's still trying to figure out how I'm going to retire. Most people are retiring at my age. I don't even know what I'm doing with my life kind of late. <laughs> like, like the clock is ticking and you're not producing what you thought you'd be producing by this time in your life. And those kinds of times, Jesus is, Jesus is waiting because, because we put such an emphasis. We put, and in, the, in our Western culture, we put such an emphasis on being on time. But you go to like, 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 like uh, uh, Tommy was here last week, which I thought was awesome. Do you guys enjoy Tommy Tenney preaching? I, I, I enjoyed him. If you visited last week and you thought he was the regular preacher, I'm sorry. Um, he's not. Uh, but we are going to try to get him back again. So stick around a couple weeks, please. Uh, and we'll, we'll bring him in. Uh, but, I, but hey, I will end earlier than him. Tommy was late last week, um, but no, he—he, he, uh, I was—I was, I was his personal assistant. I don't know if you remember, but I was his personal assistant for years. Uh, for two years, and uh, that feels like 20 years when, when you're a personal assistant, because it's, I mean, it's, it's tough work, it's difficult, it's run, 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 move, 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 move. I was always feeling behind. 
And it wasn't just that I was feeling behind in my job. I was feeling behind in my life because I was called to preach. I was called to minister. I was called to plant churches. I was called to pray for people. And I couldn't do any of that. One of the, one of the toughest things to live with, one of the toughest things to live with is revelation. When God tells you where, where, where you will be and you hear where you should be. Will and should, two different things. But he tells you where you will be, and you hear where you should be. And it's so difficult to live in between that moment. But I'm thankful that God was waiting, and God wasn't in as much a hurry as I was. God said, that's all right, you don't need to plant church yet. You can just be an assistant for a while. Don't really need you right now, Harry. Go ahead and book that flight and uh, carry his luggage and uh, call that church and visit that place. And uh, one of the places that we went to is Nigeria. And uh, we, went, we, went, we went to a huge, there's 10,000 people in Nigeria. And I'm, and I'm, I'm the personal assistant, right? So um, we are on time, on schedule, everything is click, 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 click. And um, he doesn't have a personal assistant now, which is why they're kind of struggling with the video. But if I would have been back there, let me tell you, there would not, no, 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 I would have, bam, do that. And uh, because, because you're on time, I mean, you're ahead of time you're ahead of schedule and so we go to nigeria ten thousand people and 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 service is supposed to start at seven and uh so i i, I go back to the green room because they have a green room there it's not really green but anyway and so i i went back and talked talked to the pastor and said sir you know i'm about ready to have tommy come in we got bodyguards bringing them yada 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 and he said well no he doesn't have to come yet and i said well it's like service about to start right he said well no not really and I said, well, what are you talking about? Service starts at 7. Yeah, yeah. And so I found out that 7 means whenever everybody gets there. That's what 7 means. So finally at 7.45, I was like, you know, I really need to, uh, like, I, you know, Tommy, how about you just come? Just come, just be ready. I don't know what's going to happen. Just come. So he come. I think the service starts something like 8.30, 9 o'clock. Like, like it, was, it was not on time. And my little Western uh, brain was like exploding because you can't start service at 8.45 when you tell people to start at 7. But, 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 but in a culture where half the people are walking miles to get there, it's not about when you start. It's about when everybody shows up because the people are more important than the time. And so God, so God, God's like a Nigerian pastor just waiting on you to come. He's been waiting. It doesn't matter how long. It doesn't matter how many years you've wasted in that relationship. It doesn't matter how many years you wasted in those pursuits and how much time you, how much energy you spent up doing this or chasing that or being distracted by that. I'm here to tell you, God is still waiting. You haven't missed your moment. You might be late for your appointment, but you haven't missed your moment. And you have a God who is patient. Love, First uh, Corinthians says, love is patient and God is love. Therefore, God is patient. Patient means that he waits with a good attitude. That's important because I know many of us say, yeah, I know God's waiting on me. But the way that we think of God as waiting is like this. I don't know. That's God waiting. Or, or like he's got a club and he's like, I'm waiting on somebody. I've been watching all the bad things they've done. I'm getting ready to. 
Or like, I don't know if any of you, I think my mom's watching online today. Hi, mom. Um, but, when I was, uh, but when I was like 18, I got a little bit of freedom, you know, going out with friends and stuff and driving and things. And, and so I'd say, mom, okay, we're going to go bowling and we'll be back, you know, around midnight. Or When I say around midnight, I mean around it, you know, right around it. And, 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 and you know, you, teenagers can relate. You show up late. Cause you, you got plenty of decided to play another game. Went out, went out to eat. You know, we're playing bowling. Decided to decided to play another round and go out to eat and have some dessert and have some fun. Blah blah blah. And then you know it's like two a.m. and you show up and all the lights are off, the TV's off, everything. It's like everybody's sleeping. So you're going to be respectful, right? So you, you sit down, take your shoes off real quietly and kind of kind of just walk in and and you know make your way around the couch. And then suddenly you hear a voice that says. Why didn't you call? Holy mom, what the... Glory to Jesus. What are you doing? Like she's sitting in the dark. I thought it was like a shadow, you know, like something like... I was like, mom, why is the lights on? Like, why is the TV not... Like, what are you doing? You know, I'm trying not to wake you up. You're awake. And mom's sitting there, you know... And she's thinking, and she always, I don't know if your mom was like this, but my mom said over and over again, and now I find myself thinking it, and I try not to say it. Probably by the time of my mom's age, it's just going to come out. But, but, but my mom used to say, she used to say, you could have been dead on the side of a road. You didn't call. I don't know why she always jumped to the dead on the side of the road thing. I mean, you know, of all the options. Could have had too much fun and wasn't thinking about your mom. Could have lost your phone, or in those days, your pager. Uh, that's my age. Uh, you could have, you could have, you know, I mean, like, I mean, you, you could, but no, dead on the side of the road, that's mom, that's what she's thinking, and she's nervous, and she's scared, and she's worked up, and, and you know, you learn, you learn that if you're late, you got to be a little bit apologetic. You got to have some reasons. You got to call a little bit, or if you don't, you got to have some excuses. You gotta, I mean, you need because 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 it, the welcome is not going to be there. Uh, you know what I mean? The the welcome home, son. I'm so glad you're alive, not dead on the side of the road. All that goes away. So so anyway, if you know, but now I've married a a, a lovely lady who 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 never answers her phone uh, very much, and. Um, so sometimes I'm wondering if she's dead on the side of the road. And she doesn't even listen to her voicemail. So, don't, so if you're trying to get a hold of Roe quickly, just give it up. Call me. Call me. Call somebody. Um, you know, somebody. Anybody. Uh, it's just, you know, so God's teaching me patience. And, and, and that's, that's what it is. Because he, 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 he has, though, what your earthly father didn't have. He has... What your earthly uh, uh, guardians and leadership didn't have. He, he has this ability to wait and not be angry at you and not be disappointed in you and not be thinking that you're dead inside because he knows exactly where you are. He's able to see you right where you're at. And as he waits, he watches you and he knows what's going on in your life. And for many of us, that's, that's a scary thought because we have a version of God uh, that has been passed down to us. A version of God is called uh, uh, retribution justice. We have a God of retribution in our mind. We think that God is, um, indeed, I mean, Jesus is wonderful, but his father's a little scary. 
And we have this God of retribution so that when we imagine God sitting and waiting for us, he's brewing, he's stewing, he's disappointed, he's angry, he's frustrated. Why are you late? Where you've been? What's going on? How come, how, come, how come you wasted this? How come you wasted that? And I gave you that and you didn't do anything with that. And he's counting our sins toward us because he's, he's a God who loves retribution. And this, you know, I've I've tried to trace this back. I feel like historically this really goes back to around 1200 A.D., right around the time that the the, the Holy Roman Empire, as it was called, which was neither holy nor necessarily Roman, decided that uh, the church was going to be the main vehicle through which they were going to exert power over people. And uh, the church, supposed to be about Jesus, became about a state and became about control. And the papacy became about control, and uh, the clergy became, and it became all about control. And so it's easier to control people when they're scared, right? Because God's this big bad guy. You need a church to, to kind of step in. Like, you don't want to talk to him. We'll talk to him for you because he's scary, right? You don't want to read your Bible. We'll read it for you. We'll tell you what it says. You know, it'll all be good. But you really don't need to read it yourself because you can't really figure it out because God's scary. And so we'll, we'll step in here, and in fact, you know, they, 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 they even added things like indulgences where you would pay the church to have some of your sins forgiven. Even though Jesus died for your sins, it's like, yeah, but God's still kind of mad, so you might want to pay us some money. Because when people are scared, they will do things like that. They will pay money for sins to be forgiven. When people are scared, they'll buy candles from the church to burn them for their, for their deceased relatives because, because God has chucked the deceased relative into this in-between purgatory place, and he's definitely not going to get them out because he's pretty ticked off at them still. So you're going to have to buy enough candles from the church, which is money. You're going to have to give the church enough money in order for God to get nice again and get them out of there. Otherwise, he might just kick them down the stairs right on down to Hades. You might want to hurry up, get those candles. <laughs> And I'm not saying, this is not a rant against the Catholic Church. This is against a, a religion that was used to control people. It was used to drive people into fear. A few hundred years later, the Reformers came out, and Martin Luther and John Calvin, and, and they realized that there was this great doctrine of grace, the grace of God, and they jumped on the grace bandwagon, which is awesome. Thank God for Martin Luther and John Calvin. But the problem with their, even their theology is they came out of the, the Roman Catholic Church, and so they brought the same vengeful God along with them. They, 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 they took this God who's looking for retribution, who needs to be appeased, is the word they would use, which is a pagan word. But they would say that this God needed to be appeased. And so they took the coin and they flipped the coin. On the other side of the coin, there's Jesus. There's Jesus who has unconditional forgiveness. Just unconditional, wide open forgiveness. And it is true. You read the Old Testament. It's like, oh, God's kind of mad. New Testament, oh, Jesus is chill. He's great. He's cool with everything. It's like, wow, the coin flipped. Whenever you read it in that way, that God's looking for retribution. God's looking to get even. God's looking to make sure his people know how sinful they are so that he can punish them. The purpose of the law is to expose sin. Well, sort of, kind of. But, but whenever you look at Mount Sinai in that way, then, then indeed you look at Christ on the cross. And what is Christ doing? What did the reformers say Christ was doing? They said he was receiving the wrath of God on himself. That's what they said. The problem with that is that's not in the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture. There's a Romans 3 tells us that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are saved from the wrath to come, judgment. In nowhere does it say Jesus is receiving the wrath 
Now, indeed, Jesus received punishment uh, that was due to us. I mean, in that sense, he stepped in our place and, and took our shame and took our, our punishment. But, but, but see, God wasn't angry to begin with. You only get that when you have a God who's just brewing, stewing, angry, ready to zap people. And then Jesus has to come in, Dad, hold up, hold up, Dad. Just, 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 just hit me instead of them. And the problem with that is you've, you've, you've kept the same God who's really looking for retribution. And because of Jesus, he's in a better mood. <laughs> right? He's in a better mood now. Jesus made it better. But let me, let me ask you, how quick are you going to be to run to a God who needed his son to step in to get in a better mood so he'd like you? That's why people still, like, like they still fall away from God because they don't know him. They think he's angry. They think his natural inclination is never to wait. He's not waiting. Now, if Jesus tells him to sit down, I mean, he, he will sit down for a minute, but, you know, get right back up. You just wait. You know, he's like, he's like, I mean, I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like those friends that you met at school, right? And Jesus is at school. You meet Jesus. Hey, Jesus, how's it going? And, and Jesus is cool. And Jesus invites you over to his house. You know, invites you over to his house. And, and you know, you, you get to the door and Jesus' dad looks at you and doesn't like you. And I don't want that kid in my house. I don't want that punk in here. And Jesus says, Dad, please. And Jesus kind of reasons with Dad finally. Okay, well, he sits down on the couch. Well, fine, but take your shoes off when you come in. Don't mess anything up while you're here. That's our version of God. Now, Jesus is cool. Jesus loves us. He's all about us. But God the Father, he's a little scary. And I was, I was reading an interesting article this week about, about the connection between this, this, this type of wrathful God mentality and the turn of last century post-slavery America. How interesting it was Dwight L. Moody was one of the major preachers of that time and rose to prominence and uh, had a lot of great things, did a lot of great things. But one of the things that he carried with him was this retribution God model, this coin of angry God, merciful Jesus flipping and it played very well to the American culture at that time because we were just coming out of uh, 200 years of, of, of abusing humans, right? It played, the whole unconditional forgiveness worked good for the whites in the north because they wanted to hear that God was just ready just to flip the coin and it's all good. It's all good. You're forgiven. You, we, we, we release the slaves. We're good. No, no matter the fact that our entire infrastructure was built on the backs of these people, no matter the fact they were brought here illegal and they, illegally, they still don't have any land to call their own. No, 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 we don't have to do any of that. We have unforgive, un, unconditional forgiveness. We're done, we're clean, we're clear. I mean, we ought to pat ourselves on the back that we freed these poor people. What? 200 years of abuse? 200 years of mental and emotional and physical abuse? It's just going to go away? It's going to be cleared up just like that? Well, that's, that's, that's what northern whites wanted to hear. And southern whites were pretty happy to hear the other side of the coin, you know, because they were licking their wounds and building monuments to their fallen heroes and saying the south will rise again because their economy had just been trashed. And they wanted retribution. And it's not something the church likes to talk about very much, but the truth of the matter is that many of the KKK members and leaders were Bible-believing Christians. Pastors, deacons, elders sometimes who believed in a God who was angry and wrathful and needed to see blood to be appeased. 
And he says, it's just a small difference because there is the wrath of God and there is truth in that. But this is not God's natural disposition. He did not come to meet with us on Mount Sinai in order to show us how sinful we were. He came for restoration, not retribution. He is not counting every sin against you. He is, he is hoping, he is waiting for you to return to him, at which point he will gladly clear you of every single thing that you ever did. This is his heart. This is his emotion. This is his nature toward us. He doesn't want retribution. He doesn't just, see, retribution, it's interesting how it even, it even affects the evangelical stance uh, in local and foreign policies, even, even today, because a lot of times what we want to see is the bad guys to get it. Right, it plays well to the crowds. Make sure the bad guys pay. And that's retribution. Retribution is you, you do something wrong, you get thrown in jail, you pay for your crimes. But we believe in restoration. We believe in restoration where you do something wrong, you get thrown in jail, and you learn how to do something better. That's why Robbie and, and, and John went to the prison. They go to the prison uh, three times a month, and then one Sunday a month, they have a service in, in the Austin prison. And we had 30 guys last week at the Austin prison service, 29 inmates, one, one officer, and three guys gave their lives to Jesus in the service because we believe in restoration, not just retribution. God's not just looking to punish people. He's looking to bring people into relationship with him. He's looking for restoration. And also, by the way, uh, this week, this, this coming Saturday, this, yesterday, Saturday marked the first time that the prison in Kyle has ever had a faith-based dorm. And uh, we are leading that. Robbie's leading that. And we're, we're, we're taking them through three discipleship classes. we got eight guys who are living in there for the next three months. We're paying for books for them to use and study and work through. One of them's a Muslim, actually, which is awesome. And we are, we are watching God bring restoration, not just retribution. Because the heart of God is to wait for you. Why would he wait for you and then punish you? Why would he waste his time and then zap you? He could zap you right now. It's really not difficult for him. If he really wanted retribution, he'd get it. He's not looking for that. He's looking for reconciliation. He's not, he doesn't have to pour out all his wrath on somebody. Because it's not his natural state. His wrath is against sin. And what scripture says is that Jesus took our sin in his body on the tree that we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus wasn't trying to fix God's attitude. Jesus was trying to fix our sin issue. He was killing, taking our sin on himself. He wasn't changing the way God, God felt about this. He was changing the way we acted toward God. And what separated us, he was removing that. And that's what Jesus does here. As, if we can go on to the next slide or look at the next scripture here. He says, uh, go and call your husband. <laughs> she says, I want the living water. Sounds great. Jesus says, good. Go call your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've said, well, I have no husband. Because you've had five husbands. <laughs> and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. It's interesting. Jesus is almost commending her for being honest. You have said well. Thumbs up. In that you spoke truly. The word truly is, uh, is the original word is ale, uh, alethes. 
Aleph means to hide or to cover up, and ah, the alpha, is a negative. So basically it means you have not hidden, you have come out of hiding, you have not covered up. He's commending her. He's saying, you have, you have not tried to appear better than you really are. It's amazing how even in church, even when we say we need God, we still gloss over some things. You've spoken truly. The woman said to him, sir... I perceive that you're a prophet. Most people think that, that, that or a lot of preachers say that God, that the woman is trying to, to dodge, you know, and, and I don't think that's true. The truth is she said something, uh, he said something in that statement that nobody else could have known. I don't, I don't know what it was. The fact that the guy she's living with currently is not her husband or the fact that she's had five different husbands. But he said something that nobody else could have known. And we often judge this lady for her five husbands because we think of her from a western culture the truth is uh, in her culture she could not divorce a husband so she didn't divorce five guys because she's looking for somebody better the only way that she could legally request a divorce is if she caught her husband in adultery so either she's been cheated on five times or she's been divorced herself five times she's been abandoned She's either been abandoned five times, betrayed five times, or she's lost five husbands due to famine, disease, or war. Either way, she's been through a lot. And that's what Jesus understands. He understands what the enemy had to do to get you to the place that you would settle for far less than you're worth. He's not... He's not ready to zap her. He's not ready to punish her. He's not ready to condemn her and say, man, you are, you are just an awful lady. Living with this guy is not you. No, he says, I know what got you here. I know what beat down your self-esteem. I know what crushed your spirit. I know what, what broke your heart several times. Whether it was betrayal, loss, rejection. He said, I know. And she says, sir, you must be a prophet because nobody else knows what I've been through. And so she asked him this question, which seems odd to us, but is incredibly normal uh, in that culture and especially in that, er in that area. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's pointing to Mount Gerizim. She said, our fathers worshipped on Mount Gerizim. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She's asking him, am I in the right place? She sees that he's a prophet. And she says, there's this question that's really been bugging me. Because whenever you believe in a God of retribution... The most fearful thing is to be in the wrong place. Am I worshiping in the right way? Because I really want to. I really want to know I'm in the right place. I really want to know. I really wanna, am, am I doing the right thing? Like no, no, seriously. I know. I know you told me last week, but but no, seriously. Like again, I need to know. I need to know. Am, 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 am I in the right place? Am I at the right mountain? Am I in the right place? Am I at the right mountain? This is what this is what you do when there's a God who's waiting with, with a frown on his face. Am I late again? Am I, am, I, am I missing something? Am I going to miss my moment? And she brings this up because this is important to her people. The whole Samaritan, actually Samaritan was a, was a, was a sect of religion. Now that's why the Jews hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans, about 900 years prior to this, uh, under, under Jeroboam's reign, he tried to divide the country and he said he built a golden calf of all things and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and he put him on the mountain. He said, don't go to Jerusalem to worship. Worship right here. Worship this golden calf. They created their own kind of sort of Judaism but a little bit different religion. 
based on the first five books of the Bible and nothing else. They rejected the prophets and minor prophets and uh, Psalms and Proverbs and all that kind of thing. And they only went off of the first five books. And so when she's asking him where they should worship, she is asking, am I, am I worshiping in the right way? Am I believing the right thing? Do I have the right doctrine? It's amazing how fearful people are that they might have the wrong doctrine. I'm not saying doctrine is not important, but it's amazing how the fear of, I got I to I gotta get this right. Gotta, I really got to get this right. And Jesus doesn't even say. He says to her, he says, woman, believe me. One of the few times Jesus ever says that to anybody. But he says, woman, please believe me. Woman actually sounds like he's being mean, but actually that means dear lady, sweet lady, please believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship the Father. The hour is coming when you... He said, that's, that, that's cool. We can talk about doctrine if you like. But lady, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship. Not on this mountain or that mountain. You're not going to be concerned about mountain. The hour is coming when you will simply worship. The hour is coming. You've called me a prophet. Now let me prophesy. The hour is coming... The hour, um, he, he, he first declared her past and he diagnosed her present. And then it was all to bring her to a discovery of her future. She can't see the tomorrow. She can't see past her pain. But Jesus looks up over the wall of her present and he looks into the future and he says, I see a lady right there and she is worshiping. She is a worshiper. She's got wounds, but she's still a worshiper. She's got a past, but she still is praising God. She's, she's had some pain in her life. But I can tell you right now that I can see something in you that you can't see in yourself. Woman, believe me. I know it doesn't make sense to you. I know you can't believe yourself and nobody else is telling you this, but you will worship the Father. Not in this mountain, not in that mountain. You will worship Him in the place of, uh, of your pain. You will worship Him in your home. You will worship Him in your grocery store. You will worship Him on your job. You will worship. You will worship. You will be a worshiper. Believe me. I see it in you. It's in you. Life has beaten it out of you, but it's still in you. You will be a worshiper. <laughs> he speaks to her and he says, you call me a prophet. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me tell you about tomorrow. Let me tell you about the next day. Let me and I, I, we've been talking about your past and that's good and everything, but that's all cleared up. And your present is just one simple decision away. You will be a worshiper. Something about that statement shook her. Next week, we're going to wrap it up. Would you close your eyes right now and just bow your head with me? I feel like the Lord's speaking to somebody about your past, about your present, and about your future. I think God is able to deal with all three of those in one moment, in one conversation, in one statement. Basically, he summed up her life. He summed up her life in one conversation. She had a past of disappointment, of rejection, of betrayal, of loss. She had a present of compromise, but she had a future of worship. She had a future where God was going to take everything she had been through and he was going to use it for his glory so that 2,000 years later, we would still be finding ourselves in this woman's story. We would still be finding ourselves right there in her shoes. And God has been waiting for you to find yourself in that story, to find your story in his word. He's been waiting
Lord, I pray that you would change our mindset of who you are and what your natural condition is toward us, what your predisposition is toward us. We don't have to argue with you. And Jesus didn't argue with you because Jesus is you. You don't argue with yourself. <laughs> you were on that cross. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were on the cross dying for the sins of the world. To take our sins outside of the camp. To take our sins, not the wrath, but the sins. You don't have an attitude problem toward us. You're not angry toward us. You're not looking to get even. You don't need, you don't need to be appeased. You don't need to be satisfied. You are satisfied in yourself. You're happy in yourself, and you want us to be a part of that joy. You invite us into that. So if you'd like to receive the free gift of salvation, the gift of salvation, whereby Jesus takes our sins and nails them to the cross, and you have a clean slate, would you just raise your hand and say, I want to pray a prayer with you today. I want to accept that. I want to receive that and step into that. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. Cool, you can put your hands down. Now let's, let's just pray with me. Say, say, let's, let's all just say this together. Say, dear God, I need you. Forgive me for going my own way. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and for your love that started the whole thing. I now receive the blood of Jesus into my life. Come live inside of me. Change my thoughts. Change my heart. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah.